Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener. Garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com. All the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash Farmer Fred Daily Garden Tips. Lots of snark. The Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there was always a garden dialogue going on including, I believe, the latest post I put up there had to do with the latest quarantine for the Asian citrus psyllid. They found that little pest in Roseville a few weeks ago, and there is a new citrus quarantine area that encompasses Roseville as well as parts of Sacramento County, North Highlands, Orangevale, Citrus Heights, and it basically restricts the movement of citrus out of the area. So basically, uh, if you are in the market to buy a citrus tree and you live in the Roseville area or that that, uh, quarantine area, you want to buy it within the area at a nursery and then keep it in the area. And if you go to, say, uh, the Green Acre store in Roseville, they have full information about the quarantine area as well as uh, what to look for when you're buying a citrus tree. Because citrus trees that are sold by nurseries, by reputable nurseries, they're good to go. They, are, they have been certified as pest-free and disease-free. The pest, the Asian citrus psyllid, vectors this disease called Wang Long Bing, also known as HLB or citrus greening disease. It is a deadly t- disease that will kill a citrus tree. It has decimated the Florida industry. California is trying its best to limit the spread of HLB and the Asian citrus psyllid in California. So that's why there are all these quarantines. So basically, don't smuggle in citrus wood, okay? Don't smuggle in budwood that you want to graft onto an existing citrus tree from outside the area, outside the country. Uh, That's how this problem got started. So basically, new quarantine zone. I think it's like number 158 of quarantine zones in California. There's a lot of them. Well, the the, uh, National Weather Service has changed their mind all morning. They've been saying, oh, it'll be 99 in Sacramento. Now they're saying, eh, maybe 100. Okay, (laughs) it's going to be 100. 97 on Monday, 95 on Tuesday, 94 on Wednesday, 96 on Thursday. Uh Uh-oh. 101 on Friday, 105 on Saturday. So enjoy the respite of Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from the triple-digit heat, which means... You may have to alter your watering habits, and we're going to talk about your watering habits on today's show and uh, how to modify them to basically get the most bang for your buck and maybe reduce the the amount of bucks you're throwing your local water agency as far as watering your landscape, which uses most of the water that you're paying for. It, It can be done. Don Smith is here. Don Smith is with the city of Folsom. He is their water management coordinator, and he's got tips for us on how to save money when you do your watering. And Don, a pleasure to have you here. And let's start right off by reminding people that you you have an event coming up on Saturday, July 29th. It's Ask the Sprinkler Guy. Correct. It's We're going to be in the park at Natoma and Stafford in Folsom. That's the Folsom City Lions Park. We'll be back uh, near the library. Uh, what we're going to do is have a demonstration area set up. We'll have different types of drip irrigation, dip, different types of uh, spray irrigation, And you'll get a chance to see uh, a lot of the newer things that are out, which are much more efficient than the traditional things that probably exist in your landscape. 
Uh, we'll also have a variety of different uh, irrigation controllers, uh, some of the new smart controllers that are weather-based, and, uh, and some of the new ones that are Wi-Fi enabled. If, you're, uh, if you would like to be able to adjust your timer through your smartphone, uh, we'll show you a timer that will let you do that. What an amazing time we live in. <laughs> it's like, hey, well, why not? Uh, everything is connected to the Internet these days. Why not your irrigation box? You know what's nice, too, is modern. It, I think if, if people, if they just did one thing, it would be to upgrade the irrigation control box, especially if they have one that's 20, 30 years old, because these newer ones, not only are they more efficient, they're more logically set up, so you can almost look at it and figure out how to run it. Correct. Uh, well, and it also is true, too, that the cheaper you find one, usually there are capabilities missing. Right. That make it a little easier, a little more intuitive to operate them. Um, you know, timers, uh, people are more befuddled by timers uh, than I think any other um, piece of technology in their home. And I've we have customers in Folsom who've given up. They have a system put in. They have a irrigation controller, and they just can't figure that controller out. Yeah, if they so know they, where it is. Well, they shut it off. Yeah, and then they uh, uh, bring out the hoses and yeah, you know which. Oh, you've met the guy who owned my house before. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a. Uh, it, they have made irrigation control technology pretty darn simple. And what's nice, too, is if you lose the manual, it's online. Correct. And you can get the answers that way. Well, and then one thing that, that we always show people how to do is to, uh, people confuse themselves when they open that timer box and they look at all those buttons and they look at those dials and they sit there and they try to figure out how they're going to make that timer water their landscape. Uh, you can go online. We like to use a worksheet. And this, uh, this kind of comes down from my time as a, a commercial uh, landscape contractor where I did maintenance of lots of large properties, and you had to stay organized in order to run those big systems. So what we've done, and you can find it on the City of Folsom website, um, which is folsom.ca.us, and then go to the water conservation area, and there are um, uh, sprinkler scheduling worksheets. And the idea is what I encourage people to do is think about how you want to water your landscape before you start dealing with that timer. So this worksheet will allow you to go, to go through, um, identify all your zones. You know, when you hit that button number one on the timer, what comes on? A lot of people don't ever know that. Yeah. Or, or never have any idea what's going to work. So you do all that, and it's just a, an organized way to go through and decide how you're going to water your lawn. And you do that sitting at your kitchen table not standing in front of the, the, the irrigation controller. And then once you've determined how you want to water, then you go to the controller, and you use that worksheet as a guide to put in your program. Does the program you're talking about, the online uh, program, is that the one, the worksheet, is that with beyondthedrought.com? Because that really is an excellent website that uh, basically takes you through how to schedule Mm -hmm. uh, watering it because it asks you questions about like where you live. Mm -hmm. Oh, is there a slope? What sort of what's planted right. there? Right. Well, that's a different thing. That's very helpful. And it's good to look at while you're looking. Our worksheet is just a sheet of paper. Ah, okay. That you can download uh, for, and print out and use for yourself. And you take those sites, like you mentioned, 
and you can use those to uh, guide you while you're trying to determine how you're going to water. Yeah. And, but then you actually put it on that sheet, mm-hmm. and then you walk out to the timer. That makes sense. And uh, and and use that sheet to help you program. You're not you're making the programmer, the controller, work for you instead of the other way around. Right. Yes. And uh, if you want to uh, find out more information about the the scheduling for irrigation, uh, just uh, Google the phrase Sacramento Region Smart Irrigation Scheduler. Sacramento Region Smart Irrigation Scheduler. And you get a lot of good information there. And, uh, I mean, every water district probably in California has something similar to it or is referring back to that one in one form or another. Yeah, I think we all have links to it. Yeah. Um, the, the other good resource in the Sacramento region is the Regional Water Authority, which is uh, a group of 22 independent water districts, and we all bound it, you know, come together to work on projects together, and one of them is water conservation. If They have a website called bewatersmart.info. And you can go there. There is a, a wealth of information there. Um, it will, if you don't know what water district you're in, you can find it. Um, if you want to contact a conservation department, the contact information is there. And also rebate information. Every district has a different uh, group of rebates that they're active in. And you can find all that out anywhere in that region. One great thing when you get to bewatersmart.info, and every district has this, are plants that are right for your area that don't require much water. Right. So at the bewatersmart.info site, if you click on the WaterWise Gardening link, it it brings up WaterWise Gardening in the Gold Country region, which is what they refer to Sacramento as. Mm -hmm. And you can find a whole host of plants there listed by the type of plants you want. And it's with colorful pictures of what they look like full grown. A lot of people fall in love with these plants at nurseries that are in one gallon containers or smaller and think, oh, that's nice. I'll buy six of these, Mm -hmm. not realizing they're going to get 10 feet tall each or whatever. Correct. So, yeah, it's always a good idea to know what the full plant looks like. I imagine, too, Don, that, oh, we have to take a break. So I will stop imagining. And when we come back, uh, let's talk about uh, some maintenance tips for people on their current systems as far as what they can do to help reduce their water bill that they may not even be aware of. Don Smith is here. He's the water management coordinator for the city of Folsom. Got a question? Give us a call. 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. Email. Send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com. And answer other questions, too. It's gardening. After all, it's a garden show. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSDE. Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And we're talking with Don Smith. He's the water management coordinator for the city of Folsom. He's worked for the city for 14 years. He's a licensed landscape contractor, extensive work experience in plumbing, landscaping, and irrigation. He used to own and operate a landscape contracting business for 20 years. Belongs to a whole host of organizations, and now he's a uh, Watching sprinklers that either work or don't work or are working too well. And I got to believe that in your line of work, it's tough to get people to think about outdoor irrigation systems when for years all they've done is let it run by itself. And it may even come on when they're sleeping. So they have no idea that they have Old Faithful in their lawn or something like that. Oh, right. That is an issue. And, And that's one of the reasons we encourage people 
at the very least, in the spring before you turn your system on, uh, turn on each zone and walk around and look at it. See how it's running. You know, spend time looking at those drip systems to make sure they're running. Um, you know, like your advice, turn on the drip system and walk away for a little while. Come back and make sure it's wet. Right. You know, uh, you'll be surprised at what you'll find even after just a few months. Uh, things happen. Uh, sprinkler heads, uh, lawnmower wheel can turn ahead in the wrong direction. A weed whacker can cut a line. <laughs> yep. Yeah, lots of things can happen. You could have planted something and cut something. Uh, a number of things could happen. I, we provide a service, and most of the water districts do, called uh, a water-wise house call. And we do that for our water customers in Folsom. And we'll come out and inspect the system for them with it running, give them tips on how to schedule and, and that type of thing. And it's, it, it, sometimes it's humorous what we find. You know, I was at one gentleman's home, and right next to his driveway, he had uh, a big brown spot. And uh, typically when I show up to do one of these appointments, I'll ask them, well, is there some particular problem that, that's, that's pressing? And he said, well, this big brown spot. And I said, well, have you done anything to try to correct it? And he goes, yeah, I, I turned the water up. <laughs> okay. And uh, and that's generally the default. If there's something wrong in your lawn, put more water on it. There we go. Yeah. Well, they got a plant problem. Give it more water. There you go. Yeah. And he said, I can't figure it out. And he goes down at the lower end. It's 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 a swamp, but here I just can never figure it out. And I said, uh, okay, well let's go turn the system on and see what happens when it runs. And I saw a look on his face that told me he had never done that. Oh. It was the same look I had when I called the Sears guy to fix my washing machine. He said, where's your fuse box? <laughs> you know, um, that had to be a few years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> but uh, we turned it on, and, and lo and behold, the sprinkler that would cover that brown spot was turned around and spraying his driveway. Mm -hmm. And I said, all you got to do is turn that around. Yeah. And he goes, well, I'll be darned. I wondered why my car was water spotted. Well, you know, that that plays into what we're talking about here as far as uh, maintenance of your system. What a lot of people don't realize, and, and it's responsible for a lot of runoff, too, is plants grow. And it may be blocking the path of a sprinkler head. Right. And that sprinkler, uh, instead of hitting the lawn, is now hitting a shrub. And all that water is bouncing back across the sidewalk and mm -hmm. into the gutter. Mm -hmm. Well, that's pretty common. You When a house is built and a, a landscape is installed, you've got real clean edges between turf and shrubs. But over time, that shrub's going to grow. And pretty soon, that sprinkler head that was on the edge of the lawn is now underneath the bush. Right. So you're going to have areas that you're not going to get uh, uh, good coverage on. Um, so, you know, you want to do that evaluation, that inspection. Do it multiple times a year, but definitely before you turn it on the first time. And you want to go, you want to look for things. You want to look for uh, uniform equipment. Different sprinkler heads have different flow rates. Mm -hmm. So... You know, a lot of lawns have fallen prey to what I like to call the uh, five-gallon bucket syndrome. And that's when a, uh, a mow-and-blow type of gardening service will break ahead. And that, uh, that gardener is, is conscientious and he wants to fix it. But he's got a five-gallon bucket full of rusty, dirty old parts. And he finds one that looks like what he broke. And he puts it in. And then over the years, and even homeowners can do that. You know, I'm not just... Uh, Going after our we all have things in the garage, yes, <laughs> and and pretty soon every head in your system is a different kind of head. Right now, the problem is those are all manufactured with different flow rates. So you know if you're having problems with certain areas browning out, certain areas get too green. Check for that. Do you have uniform equipment in your system? Hmm. You, those flow rates need to, to match. Um, and and typically the mistake you make and why that causes you to be inefficient and waste water is you have to keep turning it up until you get the driest area wet. 
So you're going to have an area too wet just to get the dry area wet enough. So you want to check for things like that. You want to check for damage, you know. Look for uh, the mud coming up around the base of a sprinkler head. Uh, look for stained areas on fences and walls. Uh, you know, you could have overspray issues. Uh, you know, uh, one of the important things is, and a lot of do-it-yourselfers make this mistake, but they will buy a sprinkler head that says it will cover 12 feet. And when they design their do-it-yourself system, they think, well, if that sprinkler head goes 12 feet, my next head will be 24 feet away because 12 plus 12 equals 24. If only. If only. <laughs> and that's exactly wrong. Yes. Those sprinkler heads, if it says 12 feet, the next head down the row should be 12 feet away. There should be head-to-head -head You're talking coverage. radius, not diameter. The radius, right? yes, not the diameter. Right. The length of the spray yeah. should be... Like a 50% overlap. 100% overlap. Oh, 100% overlap. Okay. Yeah. If it's a 12-foot spray... That next sprinkler head needs to be 12 foot. Okay. And the reason for that is if you watch the distribution of water from a sprinkler head, it is thickest out at the end, mm -hmm. and, and, and it gets thinner and drier the closer it gets to the head with your typical spray head. Right. Now, is that true with the more modern heads, like the rotator heads that send out fingers of water? They because, do a much better job. But I often wonder, does it really hit that turf that's right in front of the sprinkler because it seems like it's shooting water way out. The rotator heads do a much better job. Okay. Uh, the rotary nozzles. Uh, I saw a demo uh, early on when they were promoting these for the residential market, and the guy set up in a parking lot. And the first thing he did is turn on the old misting spray head. And you could see how uneven it was by how the water hit uh, the pavement. And it was thinner. The closer you got to the sprinkler head, the thinner it was. And the wind was blowing it, you know. Uh, and then he turned on the rotary head, and it was pretty close to instantaneous, even coverage, mm -hmm. you know. And that's what you want. There is a, uh, I won't go too deep into the weeds, but there's a measurement of irrigation called distribution uniformity. And it's a measurement of how evenly water is distributed underneath that spray zone. And the more even, the more efficient, the better the spray, the healthier the lawn. Yeah. And the new rotary nozzles are great for that. One way I've determined uh, distribution uniformity in my uh, Polish heritage kind of way is taking a lot of even-sided, flat-bottomed either Tupperware containers or drinking glasses, short drinking glasses, and scattering them throughout the lawn mm -hmm. area turning the sprinklers on for 15 minutes, and then measuring the amount of water in each of those containers. Right. And if there is a situation where one of the containers is less by 25% or more, then I know right. I have a problem. Right. Right. And that's a good way. It's called the catch-can test. Yeah. And uh, uh, we will do that for large properties. A homeowner can do it. It's very easy. Um, and it, it, it gives you a lot of information. It gives you something a concrete way of determining how well your system works. Right. You know, um, which is important, you know. Yeah, you need to look around. And there are, people have a lot of issues. Even the uh, professionally installed systems sometimes can have issues. Uh, you could have uh, high pressure issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've got that typical old spray head that mists, and when you turn it on, if you see a rainbow, that's not a good thing. Yeah, yes. That uh, <laughs> your pressure is too high. Yeah. You're atomizing that water. It's evaporating or blowing away before it ever gets to where you want it. That's a waste of water. It's a waste of water totally. Yeah. You know? Uh, I, one mistake I see a lot of people making, and we get a lot of questions about it on the program, are 
again, it's usually the do-it-yourselfers who are combining drip on a sprinkler line. Correct. So yeah. you got three or four heads that are normal sprinkler, and then they've got they've converted one sprinkler head into a drip line that they're watering shrubs with. Right. And if you're if you're watering with a drip system using sprinkler mentality, your plants will suffer. Right. Well, and the problem with that. Um, you have to think of flow rates once again. Yeah. A sprinkler, a, a typical spray head that you might buy at a big box store, and it's especially older ones, are putting out water four, five, six, seven gallons a minute. Uh, a drip system is putting out water measured in gallons per hour. Right. So it's just not putting very much water in. You're either going to turn your lawn into a swamp in order to get enough water to the drip zone, or you're going to dry out your drip zone trying to keep the lawn right. So those should be two separate zones. You know, that's one of the things we encourage people to look for, too. There's a, a term called hydrozoning. And in irrigation design, it means you, you group those sprinkler zones. So, like, when you go to your timer and you press number one, what comes on should just be the lawn or it should just be the shrubs. So that you're keeping within that irrigation zone, everything has similar water needs. Right. So you're not trying to mix up... Uh, low water use plants with a high water use plant like a lawn. And that goes back to planting that those plants in the first place right. is you want to group the plants together based on their water needs. Right, right. You know, and then uh, as you're looking at your lawn um, and you're thinking about maybe I need to improve this, there's things you, you could do. You think about the new irrigation controllers. The rotary nozzles are excellent. Mm -hmm. um, they do make them uh, for, to, to retrofit almost anybody. Right any sprinkler body. Um, all you need to know is uh, what kind of sprinkler body you have in the ground, and usually that's right on top. It'll say Toro or Rainbird yeah. or Orbit, whatever. Take it with you to the store. Yeah. yeah. And then go up uh, to a store that carries the rotary nozzles, mm -hmm. and uh, you can get what you need. Very easy to do. Uh, the other thing um, that people forget when they tr try to convert a, convert a spray zone to drip they forget about the needs at the valve. Yes. You, you can't use the same setup for a spray lawn for a drip lawn. You know, every drip system needs to have a pressure reducer and a filter. Mm -hmm. Now That um, pressure reducer should not be at the sprinkler head. No. I've no. discovered that the hard way. Right. <laughs> and uh, but that's how they're sold. When, when you get these retrofit kits to swap out a sprinkler head for a drip spot, they have the, the, the pressure compensating device in there, that washer, the, the plug or right. whatever, is meant to go into the sprinkler head. Right. But, oh, we have to take a break. When we come back, <laughs> I'll finish my frog story. Okay. <laughs> and more. We're talking with Don Smith, uh, Water Management Coordinator for the City of Folsom. Got a question? Give us a call. 576-1578 here in the 916 or 866-331-8255. Email. Send it to fred at farmerfred.com. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. So anyway, I converted this one sprinkler head to a drip system. You take off the sprinkler head. You put on the, the retrofit of the uh, drip irrigation that has the pressure system on it as well. But you still have got all that pressure going from the valve to the sprinkler head. And back when we lived in Harold, we had all sorts of tiny frogs that liked to live next to the house. 
And the anti-siphon on the valve, uh, basically because the pressure was way down at the other end, they'd get sucked up into the anti-siphon and go down the line and end up clogging the filter down at that sprinkler head that got converted to drip, and the drip stopped working. And when you take the head off to take a look and see what the problem is, thinking it's a rock or something in the line, instead it's a dead frog blocking a sprinkler or a, a filter. And that's why you put the pressure regulator back at the valve. Thank you very much. Don Smith is here, Folsom uh, water coordinator. And, um, yeah, we, I mean, we've just been trading horror stories here uh, during the breaks about a lot of the misinformation and... Deferred maintenance and old equipment that you keep using, even though there's much better things available. And, Don, you brought up one good thing that we should point out. If people have a sprinkler control system, that box, wherever it may be, might have a 9-volt battery in it. Uh, That's correct. If you've got a slightly older system, there's a 9-volt battery in it. And the purpose of that battery is not to run the system, but to preserve its memory in case of power outage. Um, you know, if your uh, teenage son decided he needed to unplug that timer in order to plug something else in, uh, you know, his uh, garage band is practicing or, you know, (laughs) doing something. Well, that would cause the power to go out. That would cause the power to go out. But anyway, that 9-volt battery will protect the memory, will protect your program. Mm -hmm. So what we encourage people to do is, you know, uh, the same time you go around and change the batteries on your smoke alarms, go ahead out to your... um, timer, open it up and see if there's a 9-volt battery. If there is, change that one. Uh, that way, what uh, people don't understand, if power goes out, a lot of those units have a factory default um, schedule. And what they will do is 24 hours after the power comes back on, everything will run for 10 minutes. And then once every 24 hours after that, until you reprogram it, will run for 10 minutes. Regardless, Every day? Every day. Once every 24 hours. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've had people say, well, I, I set my timer to come on at one in the morning and now it's coming on at three in the afternoon. Yeah. And uh, I'll say, well, did power go out or did you unplug it? Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's so, yeah, basically check those batteries. Correct. Let's talk about what restrictions are in effect right now. Now, you can, I know, talk knowledgeably about uh, the restrictions uh, for the city of Folsom. We've come off a five-year drought. People say the drought's over. I'm saying, how do you know the next one hasn't already started? Mm-hmm. We don't know. We don't know. So it makes sense to permanently change the way you water. You don't necessarily have to change out your plant material. You may have to change out your watering systems or at least your watering habits. But let's talk about, and one of those watering habits that is still forbidden is people using that hose to wash off a driveway. Right. And that comes to us through the state. You know, during the time um, of the drought, when the governor's emergency declaration was in force, um, the conservation efforts were all um, overseen by the State Water Resources Control Board. They're the ones that listed uh, how much a water district had to reduce its water use collectively. Uh, They put the regulations forward as far as restrictions. Um, Now, what's happened, um, you know, Folsom Lake is full. Uh, there's plenty of snow in the mountains. Uh, for the immediate future, we're okay. But the state uh, rescinded the emergency order, but they left a number of the regulations in place. And one of those is 
not to be washing down sidewalks and driveways uh, with hoses. Um, much better to get out of broom, get a little more exercise that way, and uh, and clean it off. And you know the the problem is when you do it with a hose is it's just it's putting everything into the gutter. Right. And 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 anything that water picks up in the gutter goes into our rivers. So you, that, that's something you just don't need to do. What else is is uh, mandatory now, like hose end valves? Well, if you're going to wash your car, you have to have um, a shutoff nozzle okay. at the end of the hose. Don't use an open hose uh, so you can wash your cars. Um, you know, and every water district is going to be a little bit different. Uh, you know, they, they've tried to get us all together and do the same thing, but it's sort of like herding cats. And, and each of us has different... You know, uh, for the city of Folsom, we're totally dependent on Folsom Lake. That's our right. water source. You get down into Sacramento, they have wells, they have river water. There, there are different needs per water district. So each water district will respond in a different way. Uh, for Folsom, we have no more um, how many days a week you can water or which days a week you can water. We do have a restriction on daytime watering. So you should not be watering between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. Uh, and the reason for that is there's just so much water loss to evaporation and wind drift right. in the middle of the day. So, you know, we want people to do the watering at night, early in the morning. How's that going for you? That actually works pretty well. Does it? People? Are they listening? Well, yeah, you can see it pretty obviously. Yeah, it's easy. We drive around and we know uh, who is and who isn't. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and there's still that myth. And this is an East Coast garden situation. It's not a West Coast garden situation where you may have heard, well, I heard you shouldn't water at night because you can get fungal diseases on your lawn. Well, that's yeah, true back in New Jersey or wherever where the nighttime humidities are 70 or 80 percent. Right. But out here where I think last night the humidity was maybe 10 percent or 15 percent, right. we don't have that issue. Right. So it's okay to water at night. And it's just more efficient. Yeah. The water's not going to evaporate. It's going to have a chance to sit and soak into your soil, and it's a better way to do it. The one thing I would advise, though, is if you do have a couple of cycles, we were talking about cycle and soak, about watering your lawn in short intervals rather than one long interval to allow the soil to absorb water, eliminating runoff, is have one of those cycles come on when you're awake. So in the case of Folsom, that would be have something come on sometime between 5 and 10 a.m., where you're up and you can go out and look at it and make it a part of your habits every week of going out and watching your sprinklers operate. You may be surprised by what you find. You may see sprinklers not working. You may see a, a, a big fountain of water going straight up into the sky. Mm -hmm. uh, and we find a lot of that. It's, it's just a really good idea to, on a periodic basis, run your system and look at it. Uh, a lot of people uh, will just think that it's in the ground, there's that box in the garage, I can turn it on and off, and it's good to go. But, and it's not that you need to look at it every other day. or it, it, It's not that burdensome. Yeah. But you do need to look at it. You know, I try to look at mine monthly uh, to see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, you don't know. A critter could have chewed something. Yeah. Uh, lawnmower or weed eater could have broke something. A uh, number of things could have happened that will cause you to waste water instead of water your landscape. We have to take a break. When we come back, you just uh, keyed in on something that, since I've moved to Folsom, a lot of people are asking about, how can I keep squirrels from chewing my drip lines or chewing my micro sprayers and all that stuff? Well, let's talk about that when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. 
Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. We're talking with Don Smith. He's the water management coordinator for the city of Folsom. And uh, got to ask you about squirrel damage and how to protect it, how to protect irrigation systems from squirrel damage, especially drip lines and drip irrigation equipment and, and squirrel. What are the squirrels going after? Oh, they're going after water, yeah, especially in the heat. And you know, there's not an easy answer. You can try to maybe bury as much of it as you can, mm-hmm. um, so there's less above ground for them to find. Um, but there's not a good easy answer. There are products available that are supposed to repel rodents and mammals. Not sure how well they work, but I know they're out there. You know, I, I, for me though, with squirrels, uh, I'm an old Southern boy. I don't sound like it. But raised in the South, and my solution to squirrel problems is probably not palatable to a suburban. Well, I, w- I was going to ask you if it's legal to shoot squirrels in Folsom. Probably not. I don't uh, think uh, discharging a firearm may uh, cause a visit from our, our finest. Uh, well, that takes care of that answer. I guess the, uh, the other possibility would just be, in, it seems like everything's made out of plastic now. Right. Uh, and, and way back when, everything was brass. Right. Can you still find brass fittings? You know, I've seen some of them available. Um, uh, the old uh, really flat little pop-up heads. Mm-hmm. The only problem is those are terrible heads. Yeah. You know, the, the uh, they just don't work very well. Or they don't pop up at all. Or they don't. Yeah. Or they don't pop back down, and then you've got a, a yeah. brass bullet when your right. lawnmower hits. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, it's but as far you would think with drip irrigation equipment, especially that somebody would come up with a squirrel answer. Buy a dog. Yeah, dogs work. Yeah, <laughs> Get a dog. Yeah, but it probably won't work in your front yard, though. No, no. Um, but, you know, we had a black lab that was psychotic, had a psychotic hatred of squirrels. <laughs> and, and it worked? Uh, it, and the backyard never had a problem. All right. You know, one thing that is causing a lot of runoff that people don't realize, and we, we sort of touched on this earlier, and that's the other reason to go out and check your sprinkler systems on a regular basis is, Sometimes the heads get a little wacky, and the spray is just going straight out into the street Mm -hmm. or wherever. And uh, you need to go out there and know how to readjust your sprinkler head so that it's hitting the lawn and not the sidewalk. Right. Yeah, those kind of things happen over time. And that's why it's so important to do that inspection on a periodic basis, because you're not going to know uh, what's happening. Uh, And you also need to be paying attention to your controller. Mm -hmm. Um, because what worked uh, in April is not going to work in July. So you need to be making adjustments based on the weather. Um, you know, we, we had a lady in one of the newer developments of Folsom that uh, her neighbors reported her, that she was watering uh, five or six times a day for five or ten minutes, and she'd been doing it for years. And uh, so we paid her a visit, knocked on the door, and uh, asked her why she was running things for so long. And her reply was, well, when I bought the house, the contractor set up the schedule, and I thought he knew what he was doing. Well, isn't that true? I mean, I've heard this, that story before where you go in, you buy a new house, and it's got a new lawn installed, and the box is set on the new lawn setting. And right. what's the new lawn setting? It's like two or three or five minutes, five or six times right. a day. And right. people never bothered to change it. Right. Well, there's a difference between uh, an establishment schedule and a maintenance schedule. Right. And people don't realize that. So that's something we try to help folks with. Right. And uh, it, it, it helps. You know, something I, I wonder how 
involved you get into this is getting people to cover their swimming pools because that's the source of a lot of evaporation. Right. Well, a swimming a swimming pool can evaporate as much water as a lawn uses. Wow. So, um, and and people don't realize that they've got the autofills, mm-hmm. so they're seeing basically a very um, even level all the time. But you know, you're going to use as much water as a lawn does, and it's just a good thing to put that cover. You'll cut evaporation by seventy to eighty percent with a cover. Wow. And just think how much water you're putting into that to top it off when the temperatures are like what they are now. Exactly. I mean, you might be turning that on every day to put an inch of water in a pool, but in a pool that's 16 by 30, an inch of water is a heck of a lot of gallons. Right, right. And and on top of that, the the chemicals required to keep treating all that fresh water you're throwing in there. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one good thing about moving, I found, is no more swimming pool headaches. <laughs> it's a money pit. Well, <laughs> I, where I live now, I have the perfect location. Um, my two favorite things, the pool in my neighbor's yard and the boat in my neighbor's garage. Ah, there you go. So, uh, exactly. I'm, I'm good. Yes. For me in the old neighborhood, it was the tractor in my neighbor's garage. <laughs> <laughs> that came in handy. Uh, efficiency. Our, appliances are getting a lot more efficient inside uh, you got high efficiency toilets, uh, dishwashers, uh, things like that. But uh, I guess basically it comes down to: uh, Are you really running it efficiently? As far as do you have a full load in the dishwasher or the right. laundry? Right. There's a laundry list of little things that you can do inside. Uh, you know, if you've got a newer home, you've probably already got the low flow. Um, standards met, mm-hmm. but it's just how do you use it? Do you put full loads in your dishwasher and your washing machine? Uh, uh, do you let the water run incessantly while you're doing your dishes? Uh, do you turn the water off when you're brushing your teeth or shaving? Uh, those are all little things that can add up. Where does the responsibility begin and end for a city or a water agency when a line is going? to a house, private property. Is it at the main at the meter or is it at the main at the house? Ours in the city of Folsom, our responsibility ends at the meter. Okay. Um, that the service line, which is the line between the meter and your house, is the homeowner's responsibility. Um, anything from the meter back to the main and the street is the city's responsibility. I bring that up just because a lot of people find leaks uh, from their main that's uh, next to their house Mm -hmm. or leading up to it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think, well, that's the that's the city's job to fix that. Well, no, 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 it's not. And that's a pretty common um, occurrence. Yeah. So what uh, are the usual the reasons behind it? uh, Just uh, age of the material um, could have been uh, a fault in. Uh, installation. They may have dumped uh, rocks back in on top of the pipe that mm-hmm. eventually wear against the pipe. Uh, it, uh, there's a, you know, we've got some older areas of Folsom that still have galvanized pipe. Ooh. And, uh, you know, that is going to uh, decay and leak. Uh, so we've had an, a number of those houses have already replaced. Uh, and usually they replace with uh, a Schedule 40 PVC. Mm-hmm. Um, which will last a little bit longer, you know, provided you've installed it correctly. Right. Is Schedule 40 enough for a high-pressure system? Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's more than enough. Okay, so Schedule 80 would be overkill? 
uh, you know, if you really want to be careful and spend way more money, you can do Schedule 80. Okay. Well, some of us are careful. That's <laughs> all. Uh, but, yeah, the, but there's a, a lot more ways that we can be efficient both indoors and outdoors uh, with our watering equipment. And one of those two with uh, drip systems is to have it set up correctly as far as where your filters are, where your pressure regulator is, mm-hmm. uh, making sure the end caps are still intact. Right, right. Well, and the, the filters and the pressure reducers are, are an important part. And usually if you're wondering which one of your valves controls your drip system, you'll see this extra equipment below the outlet mm-hmm. of the sprinkler valve. Um, you'll see a, a filter and a pressure reducer. Yeah. Now, this is a, a problem sometimes people who want to convert Maybe underneath their shrubs, they have a spray system, and they'd like to convert to um, to drip. And the thought of doing the plumbing to install that filter and pressure reducer might be a little daunting. And uh, there is a product, and I'll name the manufacturer because, as far as I know, they're the only one that make it. But Rainbird makes a device called um, a retrofit kit, and it it looks like a sprinkler. Uh, body. It looks like the typical Rainbird sprinkler body, but instead of where the sprinkler would pop up, there is half-inch male threads coming up, about a half an inch. And inside of that sprinkler body, they put a filter and a pressure reducer. Hmm. So what you do, you replace um, one or two of your sprinkler heads with one of these devices. You cap off everything you're not replacing, and then you can screw a fitting into that half-inch thing and run your drip line. All right. Good advice from Don Smith. When we come back, it'll be Garden Grappler time, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the uh, Farmer Fred Dwindling Prize Closet. That's coming up in hour number two of Get Growing right here on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you know your drip irrigation parts. We're talking uh, water and water efficiencies with Don Smith. Don is the uh, water management coordinator for the city of Folsom. So we, I think we've probably mentioned a few uh, drip irrigation components in the last hour or so. There is a clue available at FarmerFred.com. Just click on the link that says a clue for the Garden Grappler. It's also posted at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, so that might help. And uh, I bet if you have a drip irrigation, I mean drip irrigation system, you probably uh, know some parts by name as well. So name a component of a drip irrigation system. Hey, Brooks, are you ready in there to take calls? I was born ready. He's ready. All right. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five. Just name a component of a drip irrigation system. 576-1578 in the 916 area code. Outside the area, 866-331-8255. Those numbers, again, in case you don't have enough coffee in you, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. And while you're ruminating on that one, uh, if you're online here with questions, we'll tackle your questions, and uh, you you might stumble onto an answer as well. We'll see. And don't worry, Brooks. If they come up with an answer, I'll put them back on hold, okay? Okay. All right. Don Don's here, too, to help answer these questions as well. 
So we'll do that. So, Don, you want to uh, tackle some phone questions first? Let's go. All right. Let's turn your microphone on, and we'll do that. Uh, Kevin in Sacramento, go ahead and uh, give us a question or two. Hey, how you, how you doing, guys? I, hey, I live in Northern Arcade, and I don't even have a sprinkler system. You know, I, I do it by hand. we got the best ground. It's almost all river bottom over here. But I had a couple questions. Number one, I think I may have an answer for your uh uh, Whatever it is, chewing on your, on your uh, plastic. Yeah, the squirrels. Yeah, squirrels, rats, whatever. You know, I was in the automotive business for almost forty years, and it wasn't until about ten years ago we started getting brand new cars coming in with rodent damage to the wiring. Okay. And you know why? Uh, they were thirsty. The EPA about 10 years ago said you cannot use any more petroleum. It has to be uh, biodegradable vegetable oil. For use you in. You know what I'm saying? For the insulation of the wiring? Oh, really? The insulation of yeah, the wiring? Yeah, they go after, you know? Is biodegradable? It's got to be biodegradable. It cannot be made out of petroleum. It has to be made out of something, you know, like vegetable oil or something like that. On the insulation, and probably the plastic is the same way. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, they're, well, so, you know, I don't know. After, it's like a salad to it, man. Let's go. Okay, so the <laughs> answer would be to, to uh, how do you protect you it can't then? Do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, Give up. Unless you buy it out of the country, maybe. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I know I some. <laughs> there are some people doing that. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I did have a couple of questions for Don, though. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, number one, you know, I live over here by uh, Del Paso Country Club, the golf course. Yeah, right. Why? Why don't they have to go by the same rules that everybody else does? Because they're rich. Yeah, I mean, I see so much runoff. You know, going out in, you know, outside the country club. Oh, you're talking about the golf course? Yes. Um, I'm going to say water. I mean, come on. Well, that would be a question for uh, your water district down there. Yeah. Well, you know what they've told me? It's recycled. <laughs> and so they're allowed to waste it? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what they told. I said, what is, how can you recycle that much water? <laughs> well, you know, that is a loophole in some of the <laughs> conservation rules. Oh, isn't that, that interesting? Uh, recycled water... Uh, does not fall under the same rules as potable But how water. are they recycling it? It's going into the ground. Well, they're getting it from somewhere else, and they're treating it uh, to be safe enough to put on the landscape. So it's not, really? it, it's not uh, potable water coming directly out of their system. It's uh, whatever. I'm not familiar with that area down there at the golf course. But they're getting water from another source that's already been used, and instead oh, of oh, okay, well, that makes more sense than what they told me. Well, unless know. they have a processing plant on site that they might be. Yeah, they they could have a way where they're catching water uh, uh, from their kitchens, uh, from their locker rooms. Uh, they're they're yeah, catch- but not from the <laughs> the grass area. I don't see how that would be possible. <laughs> well, you know, they could be taking it. I, most golf courses have ponds, and they'll get runoff into the ponds. That, true. that water could be treated and that. Yeah, put back true. in the system. Yeah. And one other question I have for you for Folsom. Uh, with the water, they keep, they're talking about building another 25,000, 35,000 homes. Right. Where's that water going to come from? And electricity. Well, uh, the electricity is not my area. 
but well, uh, I know, but you know what I'm saying. You know, right. Yeah. Well, the, wa- the water is... brownouts already, and you put another 35,000 homes in there. And with the water, you know? I mean, this year we're great, but... You know where I, you can find a complete answer to that? It's at a website called FolsomRanch.com. Folsom Ranch is the name for that development you're talking about that's going in. And uh, uh, they have a, a rather extensive uh, uh, answer to that question about where that water is coming from. And it was uh, basically all about uh, conservation and uh, using uh, and helping out the right. city of Folsom as far as repairs go. Well, and you're going to see in that new construction the the uh, water efficiency standards are much higher than uh, what's been built in the past. You're going to see less turf. Um, you're probably going to see on some of the the like streetscapes. Uh, you'll see the purple pipe using recycled water. Uh, okay. okay. The, you know the lawn. A lot of people. My my son has a house up there, and he's on a well. You know, so he's not worried about it. But well, he ought to be. Yeah? You think they're going to lose their groundwater? Uh, we don't know what it is. <laughs> groundwater is, is is a mystery at this point. And it right. won't. It, and the groundwater rules do not go into effect fully in California, I think, till 2022 or beyond. So, oh, and at, at this yeah, point, California. Yeah, yeah, at this point, there are no meters on wells in California. Right. And, I mean, eventually that's going to happen. Uh, don't True. please don't point your guns at me, folks. But <laughs> I'm I'm telling you, it, it's coming to that. Oh, no, you're, you're, you're at least you're being up front. You know, I keep getting BS from anybody else that I talk to. Oh, it's a, it's amazing how they pussyfoot around that question, and <laughs> and, and they don't want to uh, basically uh, tell you that. Oh yeah, we're going to be going onto your property and putting a meter on your well. Well, yeah, that's I don't know. That's that's just wrong. I well, mean, I don't know. It's water. It belongs to all of us. Yeah, but I, those houses have been there for a long time if they're selling a well, you know? Well, that that might be part of the answer right there. When the property sells, then the new law goes into effect. They, I don't think oh, that could be uh, true. They haven't yeah. finalized okay. all those rules yet. Don't bother it, yeah. yeah. So, Kevin, did you want to take a stab at the garden grappler? No, and, uh, not at all. Like I said, I, I don't... <laughs> even to have a drip irrigation system. So. All right. Uh, I, I, you know, now let somebody else have it. No All right, problem. Kevin. Thanks for calling. All right. Have a good day, guys. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. All right. Okay. All right. Stephen in Sacramento, I don't know if you have an answer or a question or both. Well, it's probably, probably, uh, it's, it's probably uh, Rainbird might be the answer for one of those. But the other reason why I called about, and once your buddy there, Mr. Smith, is not talking about most of the residents that we only use about nine percent of the water. That's it. The other ninety-one percent is going to all the rich farmers that lobby downtown Sacramento and try to get more water than what they need, and that's what's really going on. So actually, there's more than enough water for our residents. You know, should you not waste water? Yes. Should you try to be more conservative? Yes. But it doesn't matter. We only use nine percent, which is nothing. Nothing compared to the water volume that we have. Should we do more to store more water? Yes. yes. But don't be so misleading out there and realize that we need to cut back so much because we really don't use that much of the water. That's a fact. There are a lot of efficiencies taking place in agriculture, and as the producer and host for the KSDE Farm Hour, believe me, I've studied this issue and talked with a lot of people, and farmers are spending a small fortune to upgrade their water sensing capabilities. It's amazing how technologically superior that water use is in uh, agriculture right now. But yes, agriculture does use more water than residential use. Yeah, only 9%, Fred. 9%. That's nothing. 
All right, but what I'm saying is we got to eat, and we got to eat at a reasonable price. Yes, but all these laws putting on the residents of everybody is 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 garbage. It's garbage because no, we're well, only using nine percent. Well, I'll agree to you with you to a certain extent. However. Uh, they and what I will agree with you is that yes, the rules that came down for homeowners was a lot longer than the list that came down for farmers, which was basically yeah. file some paperwork saying that you're conserving water, right? And not much in the way of actual water measurement of what you're using, and that's the next step, right? But what I'm saying is, for the residents, there's plenty of water. You'll never run out of water. Except for we do need to store more water like we should have had the Auburn Dam 35 years ago. Even if it is on an earthquake fault. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Stephen, we have to run here. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank I just wanted to, I just want to like Don Smith to also talk about that and be honest about uh, what, what water is actually available to the residents and what, and what they're forcing the residents to do, which is a little bit over the top. All right, Stephen. Thanks for calling. All right. All right. Have a good day. Well, Don, how many farms are in Folsom? Uh, none. Okay. Right, we, so. we have no agriculture, and I think the actual numbers are uh, 20% in California goes to urban. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's about 40% that goes to what they call environmental. Right, yeah. And about 40% goes to agriculture. Yeah. And a lot of people, uh, like our last caller, um, you know, I, I'm only concerned with urban because that's where I work. I'm not in an agricultural water district. Right. But the agricultural people had restrictions, too. If you look back at the drought a little bit, their surface water was cut to 0%. Exactly, yeah. No, there was you no know, question that um, they had water allocations that were greatly reduced. Right. And, and so they, they paid a price as well. Now, I, you know, I will agree there's a lot of focus on urban use um, when, you, when you read the paper, when you talk about it. And that's because that's where most of our population is. Yeah. You know, and for Folsom, our sole water source is Folsom Lake. You know, you can drive if you drive over the new bridge where you can look down at the dam, mm-hmm. you look down to the right, you'll see a pipe coming out of the face of the dam. It's a white pipe. A white pipe yeah. coming down to the right. Um, it's going to the prison. It's going to Folsom. It's going to pres- the prison. It's going to <laughs> Roseville. It looks like it's going straight to the prison. Yeah, it, it, it goes up there. Okay. But um, our concern was, and in the drought, our, the, the big concern was, is that water going to drop below? Um, the level of our intake. Yeah. Um, and it and almost did. It was about 20 feet above it, if yeah. I recall correctly. So, you know, that's a concern for us. For us in Folsom, we don't, we don't have wells to fall back on. We have some agreements with our neighboring water agencies where we can hook, you know, uh, share water. Um, but for us, for Folsom, you know, that's what it is. Now, also, too, that people don't realize when um, they talk about the difference between urban and ag, is the cost of treating water. Right. You know, um, you know, Folsom has had metered water rates since 2013. Before that, it was a flat rate. No matter how little you used, how much you used, you paid the same thing. Sacramento used to boast about that. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a big thing in our region. Yeah. And, uh, but it encouraged an inefficient attitude. Right. And people did not realize what the cost was, what the cost is to treat the water, what the cost is to deliver the water, the infrastructure maintenance that's necessary. Uh, there's a whole raft of things, and, and whether or not we're in a drought or we're not in a drought or ag is using more than we have, we have a responsibility to w- use the water we have efficiently. And one of the first steps to efficient water use is measure the water you're using. Correct. And we have yet to see that fully implemented on groundwater in the state. 
Right. And California, I believe, is the only state in the nation that doesn't. Uh, just about. Yep. I, I think there might be one other, but I'm not sure on that. We have to take a break. When we come back, I see your answers. You've got answers on the phone there. We'll get to your answers on the Garden Grappler, which is, by the way, in case you've forgotten, name a component of a drip irrigation system as we continue with the Garden Grappler on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's get some garden grappler answers going here. The uh, question, name a component of a drip irrigation system. And by the way, uh, I think it was Kevin or Steve said uh, Rainbird. Rainbird's a manufacturer. That's not a component of a drip irrigation system. So, yes, that would not work. All right, who's up first here? I believe it's Christy here in Sacramento. Hi, Christy. Hi, this is, yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Christy, go ahead, name a component of a drip irrigation system. Pressure regulator. Pressure, Don, is that a good answer? That's a great answer. All right. Very important part. Yes, it is, because you might have uh, 60 PSI or more coming out of uh, your city water, and you want to reduce that down to 30 or less for a drip irrigation system. Otherwise, you have this system that blows up. And every time. And I have for you this wonderful booklet from the folks at BeWaterSmart.info. Uh, be it's called A Homeowner's Guide to a Water Smart Landscape. So I'll be sending that to you. Sounds great. Thank uh, you. Thanks, Christy. Appreciate it. All right. We can cross pressure regulator off our list of uh, drip irrigation components. Penny in Roseville, go ahead. Give us a drip irrigation component. How about an emitter? What, what are your dog's names? Oh, my goodness. I'm babysitting my sister's dog. The big one is Milo, and then my dog is Furley. So I'm going to step outside. No, no. I, 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 no, I, I, I want to yell at them first. Milo, Furley, quiet. Okay. <laughs> there. So, so Don, what about uh, uh, Penny's answer there? Um, an emitter is a great answer. All that's, right. That's, uh, without the emitter, you don't put the water down. There you go. Can I ask a quick tomato question? Sure. Go ahead. Um, I've never had much luck with regular tomatoes. I usually just do the minis. But this year I planted an early girl, and I got all, and it's in a big above-ground pot, and I got a bunch of green tomatoes. And as soon as they started to ripen and turned red, and I'm picking them, the bottoms of all of them have a circle about an inch, inch and a half in diameter that's a grayish-brown color. Um, and... All of them, every one of them. And so when I take them inside and I cut them, it really didn't get into the flesh. It's just this weird color circle on the bottom. What is that? Is it a circle or a patch? It's a good circle. Okay, it's a circle. That could be cat-facing, or it could be blossom end rot. And they're basically both environmental issues of a boom-bust cycle as far as watering those tomatoes. There was too much dryness or too much wetness. And uh, when you go through extremes like that, like the weather we've been having, that can happen. So it's it, it's uh, basically the answer is you really have to watch the soil moisture and apply it so that the soil moisture in tomatoes are even. Uh, the soil moisture is evenly applied, and that's especially true when the tomatoes are at a very young stage, like they are for you now. Okay, so I can eat them, right? I oh, can yeah. just, just cut yeah, that off. Exactly. I was going to get to that. That oh. just cut off that bad part and serve the rest, and everybody will think you grow perfect tomatoes. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you very much. All right, Penny. Congratulations. All right. Caller three in today's Garden Grappler, naming a drip uh, irrigation component, uh, Kathy in Sacramento. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Farmer Fred. So, Kathy, um, uh, what, what drip irrigation component would you think of? How about a timer? Don? I would accept timer. Yeah. That, uh, you know, we find a lot of people that use the systems you uh, attach to your faucet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet those people because their neighbors complain they have water running down the street from their house because they turn the faucet on and forget it. So uh, timers are very good. Yeah, the, the the faucet timers are good. Just remember to uh, watch the batteries and to, to right. keep it going. And, uh, yeah, and what's nice, too, is that the current generation of those faucet timers are more geared to drip irrigation systems. A lot of the old timers, they'd work for, you could set it for 15, 30 minutes or an hour. And with drip, you really want to run for multiple hours. And most of the newer uh, faucet timers will do that for you. So that's a nice feature. Uh, tell you hey, what. Fred, yes. I, I have a, a question for you regarding soil solarization. Okay. Um, so I understand you've had some experience recently when you moved up to your house in Folsom, and I'm wondering, black plastic, clear plastic, um, what what are your what's your input? This time of year, June, July through early August, is great for using clear plastic for soil solarization. You uh, kill a lot of weed seeds, a lot of nematodes. The key, though, is that that clear plastic has to be placed on. A fairly flat surface. You have to get rid of any sort of top growth on there or mow it as short as possible. Soak it thoroughly, then put down at least four mil clear plastic, seal it around the edges so no air can work in, and then leave it on there for four to six weeks. Alternatively, if you, if you don't want to do it this summer and you want to do it a, a bit more slowly, is in the fall, pile 12 inches of mulch on top of the area that you're trying to get rid of whatever's there and just leave it on there through the fall and the winter. And it'll be good to go. And that's actually what I did in Folsom was mulch on an an existing Bermuda grass lawn. And it worked like a charm. When we chopped down the 12 liquid amber trees, I just used all those chipped and shredded parts as, as mulch came out to about 10 to 12 inches thick. And when we moved that mulch about a month ago to start landscaping the backyard, there was not a hint of lawn to be found. So no Bermuda grass? No Bermuda, yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. what my thought is. I, I know you, I've heard you say Bermuda grass is forever. So, Bermuda grass yeah. is forever, yes. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we're trying to avoid. Okay, um, so I've, I've heard nothing in here about black plastic. Black plastic is better for if you live in coastal California where it doesn't get as warm and you would be doing that in September or October. But here in the okay. Hot Valley, and that would include your area, uh, basically clear plastic works best. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Kathy. And there's more Take information online. If you go to FarmerFred.com, I've got a lot of links to articles about soil solarization that can fill in a lot of the gaps for you on that one. All right. Let's go up to Chico. Don and Chico, go ahead. Give us a uh, drip irrigation component. Hi, Don. Wake up, Don. Don. This is David and Chico. Oh, it's David and Chico. It's David and Chico, Brooks. <laughs> All right. Got it. Sorry about that. Okay. How about quarter-inch tubing in the fittings? There you go. go with it. There you go. That's yeah. a good one, too. Quarter-inch tubing is fine. Yes. One answer is all we require. Hey, Don, good job. I'll send you that homeowner's guide to Water Smart Landscaping. Only, only it's Dave, and I have a question. Dave, what's your question? 
has to do with the well. I have a well not only in my house, but in my cabin up near Lassen National Park. I have, at times, I get pressure coming out the head of the well for no particular reason. Is there a reason why pressure would come out of the, the head of my pump? It's pretty good force. How deep is the water level? About 125 feet. I have no idea. That's a that's a mystery. Why? Is, unless your water table has come up considerably, right? I, I would be talking to a local well driller about that. Yeah, that's a that's a mystery to me, there, Dave. I did that. I did talk to well. He said, "Don't light a match." <laughs> Lord. Okay. Well, the, then take him seriously. Okay. All right, Dave. Thanks for calling. <laughs> All right. Bye bye. All right. Caller number five and today's garden grappler, Dan in Roseville. Hi, Dan. Hello, Farmer Fred. Well, and I show. I tell you what, Dan. If you can name a drip irrigation component that is not a pressure regulator, an emitter, a timer, or quarter-inch tubing, I have for you a great book called *The Low Water Flower Gardener* by Eric Johnson. That I'll be sending your way along with a copy of *The Homeowner's Guide to a Water Smart Landscape*. So, Dan, be my guest. Well, let's go with the electrical power or a filter on the system so it doesn't clog up the uh, emitters. A uh, filter is a very good answer. That's an important part. There you go. Congratulations, Dan. Good job. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks for playing our little game. Appreciate yeah, it. Have a great day. All right. You too. And Don Smith, thanks for uh, making the big drive uh, hey. from Folsom out here uh, uh, to uh, talk uh, water with us. My pleasure. I'm happy to come back anytime. Good. You know, I, I need to uh, come back often enough so I can say I've been more times than Steve Zine. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're certainly better looking than he is, I'll tell you that. Uh, but one plug for Don Smith, Saturday, July 29th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's Ask the Sprinkler Guy, and you'll be at Folsom City Lions Park. there next to the library and city hall at 403 Stafford Street in Folsom to answer people's uh, irrigation questions. Right. And a lot of good stuff hooked up and working to show you. All right. Good example. So, so you can touch it, feel it, and watch it work. All right. Again, Don, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. When we come back, we're talking with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum. When we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Every month we like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum, and he has so many plants to talk about it, we can never fit it into the KFPK Garden Show. So the second half is always here on Get Growing on KSTE. And when we last left you, Warren, we had only gotten through the letter E in your alphabetical listing of plants that are putting on a show during July in Epilobium. But before we do F through Z, let's talk about some upcoming events at the UC Davis Arboretum. Now, you're you're taking a couple of months off from your walks, but you will resume your your uh, Wednesday walks with Warren in September, correct? Yes, September 13 at noon out at the Arboretum Gazebo, which is uh, south of the vet school on, on the campus. And we'll be looking at what, uh, what's colorful at that time of year. There's also a, 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 an interesting tour given by our docents on August 5th on Saturday. And that's about succulents. And we'll be meeting at uh, the Ruth Risden Store Garden, which is um, out, uh, south of the vet school near the gazebo. So that would be a lot of fun to, to visit the 
the, the succulent plants, which are good candidates for gardens in our area. It's a good idea to look at the Arboretum website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu, to see other programs we have regarding drama and music. Including information about the October plant sale. Yes, October 7th. <laughs> All right. When we last left you, we were uh, discussing the beautiful plants at the Arboretum that uh, shine in July without sweating too much. And we had gotten all the way down to the Epilobium, which is the uh, California fuchsia. So let's pick it up from there. Well, let's talk a little bit about the wild buckwheats. That's the genus Areogonum. There are a number of species right now in bloom. The, uh, there's one called the um, red buckwheat, and in mind it's a wild buckwheat. It's not the kind you get grain from. And this one is Epilobium grande, uh, former rubescens, I think. And it comes from San Miguel Island uh, out in the, uh, uh, off the coast of Southern California. Um, it's a useful plant. It has sort of ruby pink, ruby red clusters of flowers and easy to grow. It doesn't need much water to be successful. And two of its larger cousins, the uh, Santa Cruz Island buckwheat, which is our Ariogonum arborescent, a small shrub, and Ariogonum giganteum, St. Catherine's Lace from Santa Catalina and San Clemente Islands in Southern California. These are good uh, California native plants. They're very attractive to beneficial insects as well. And a long bloom season, too. Very long. I was moving on to Erythrina bidwilli, a hybrid Erythrina, a coral bush, I guess you'd call it, um, and brilliant pure red flowers. Uh, not for every garden, I think, because the leaves have little hooked spines on them, but it's just a completely spectacular plant. The, the red flowers are, are stunning and produced in, in some profusion. Um, so it's a hybrid between an herbaceous species and a tree, and uh, one of the smaller of the erythrinus or coral bush. Gaura lindheimeri. Gaura, I guess the common name is Gaura. <laughs> it looks like flocks of yellow or pink butterflies, especially in the morning. This time of day, I look out and I see that their flowers are wilted, but they'll be, be back next day, a new bunch. It's a rambunctious plant, but a beautiful graceful uh, garden plant for our climate. Oh, wait a minute. You used a gardening euphemism there. Rambunctious. Yes, it is rambunctious. It's not as rambunctious as, say, Bermuda grass, but you'll always have some around. <laughs> it does seed a bit in the garden, but it's easy to control. All right. And Gara looks beautiful when there's a slight breeze, too, like you say, like a butterfly. Yes, it's a, it's a lovely plant. And in the fall, when it, when it drops its leaves, the stems turn purple. So in the morning when you have dew on the plant, it looks like a little pink cloud off in the garden. Hmm. So, all right, Heteropteris sangustifolia. Heteropteris is a, plant, a shrub uh, vine from South America, hardy here. And um, it has um, yellow flowers that look kind of like tiny crepe myrtle flowers. And this is followed by winged seeds that are red. So right now it's doing both, flowering and fruiting. Uh, a deciduous vine, a rather small vine. Uh, and I think we're going to be growing some of it. It's uh, uh, not very well known, but it's a perfectly good plant. And finding uh, small vines, or rather small vines, is um, is a little bit hard, so this is a good candidate for that. The giant herbaceous hibiscus native to the southeastern U.S., Hibiscus mosheutos, 
is truly spectacular. Now, these, these flowers are up to six inches across, great big hibiscus flowers, and there are different varieties. They come in colors all the way from pure white to a good strong red and in between. They are um, a dramatic plant. Oh, yeah, it's extremely dramatic. Now, it's a herbaceous perennial, that is to say, it starts growing in late spring. It starts blooming. Oh, it starts blooming in, in June for sure, and then keeps on blooming through the season until frost. And at that time, the plant dies back. Uh, then you have to clip off the dead stems. But they're not dead all the way to the ground, so you cut it down to about an inch from the ground. And then it's back again. It needs some water till you bloom well. But, wow, <laughs> it's worth spending water on because of the show. Uh, and, of course, oleander. Can't forget that. Very useful shrub for for our climate. <clears throat> All the way from Sister Agnes, or Chirognier, which has white flowers and gets up more than 20 feet, 5 feet tall, to some of the dwarf ones, which come, the dwarfer ones come in red, salmon, and pink. Tacoma stands. This is called golden bells. This particular species is native from North America down into South America. Usually often loses its leaves in the winter time. The hybrids, the orange hybrids I found, are not really hardy to our cold, but worth growing. However, the just plain old Tacoma stands, golden bells, really good plants. They're kind of a big shrub for you, but, but nice. Tucrium hercanicum. This is a Tucrium, I think, from the east in North America. Spikes of purple maroon flowers. I don't recommend it for the garden because it's 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 weedy. It's more than more rambunctious than Gaura, but you can come enjoy it at <laughs> at the store garden in the arboretum. Uh, verbena rigida, another rambunctious plant. This is a, a true verbena, um, which gets about oh let's see eight nine inches tall. Brilliant uh, purple-violet colored flowers, and uh, there's a, a paler uh, pink, now it's sort of a light lavender colored form as well, but the purple ones are just uh, stunning. And Vitex agnus castus, the chase tree, uh, which comes in uh, the, the uh, colorful spikes of flowers, reminiscent of a butterfly bush, and the flower colors of this small tree are a lavender purple, purpley blue, but also white and also pale pink. And the chase tree, and it's the opposite of Viagra if people are interested. <laughs> now, you, you don't have a zinnia or a zoshnera for us? Well, the zoshneria we talked about under Epilobium cana. Oh. The zoshneria is another name for California fuchsia. And zinnias, yes, we don't have, we have a little patch of zinnias that I discovered in the arboretum. But zinnias, of course, are a good plant. Uh, we just don't have very much of it in the arboretum. We made it. We've made it. Yes. All right. <laughs> Once again, we have highlighted the plants of the month at the UC Davis Arboretum, the ones that are putting on a summertime show. If you have relatives or friends visiting from outside the area, I can't think of a better way to spend part of a day is to go on out to the UC Davis Arboretum, where for free, you can walk around, enjoy the acreage, enjoy all the flowers, the shrubs, the trees. They're labeled. Take plenty of pictures and uh, leave only memories. That's good. I hope everybody comes. There's plenty of room. All right. Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum. For more information about the Arboretum, visit the website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren, it's always a pleasure talking with you. We'll do it again in August, okay? Great. I look forward to it. All right. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. 
Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Okay, you want the good news or the bad news first? Here's the good news. It's going to be cooler than it was yesterday. The bad news, it's still supposed to hit 100, but a little bit of cooling on the way for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Mid-90s or lower 90s for the Sacramento region. And overnight lows, this is nice, back down into the upper 50s where it should be, as opposed to last night's low of 72. That's not much in the way of cooling. So we get the Delta breeze back flowing, and we can actually cool off the homes uh, in the morning or overnight. Uh, that's, that's, that's good. But at the end of the week, temperatures going back up to 100. But that's just the way it is. Uh, it's July in our area, and that also means fires. And for our friends uh, listening up in the Oroville area, I know many of you are concerned with the Wall Fire. And here's the latest update uh, on uh, that condition there. The Wall Fire uh, centered five miles north of Bangor on Chinese Wall Road in Butte County. 4,400 acres have burned, only 17% contained. Evacuation orders uh, are in effect for... Oro Banger Highway from Sweets Flat Road to Avocado Road, all areas west of Miners Ranch Road from the intersection of Highway 162 to Oro Banger Hi- Highway, all areas of Highway 162 from Miners Ranch Road to Oakvale Avenue, all areas east of Oakvale Avenue from Highway 162 to Miners Ranch Road, all areas north and south of the intersection of Highway 162 and Forbes Town Road to Black Bart Road. All areas east of Minor Ranch Road and Highway 162 and Orobanger Highway to Sweets Flat Road and all areas west of Robinson Mill from Forbestown Road to Laporte Road. Those are current evacuation orders. There are also evacuation warnings listed for some of the surrounding areas. The, uh, the wall fire, as I mentioned, 4,400 acres had doubled overnight the amount of acreage uh, being burned, 17% uh, contained, 10 structures destroyed, 5 damage, 750 structures are threatened, and uh, they don't know what's caused it yet. That is still under investigation. There have been four injuries. There's over 1,000 fire personnel on the scene, 169 fire engines, uh, air tankers, seven helicopters, dozers, bulldozers, water tenders, And uh, the fire, they report, continues to burn actively. It's burning primarily to the northwest and the southwest. Hot, dry weather is expected to continue in the fire area. They're working to establish and maintain control lines and reduce the threat of property damage. And again, those evacuation orders are in effect. And if you want more information, their uh, public information line is 530 538-7826 in the 530 uh, area code so my thoughts and prayers goes to all of you uh, listening up in the Oroville area and uh, Butte County and uh, yeah it's, it's a, that's a tough one alright and there's a few other fires burning throughout the state too uh, of concern there are uh, some Major incidents uh, going on, especially uh, to the south of us. Uh, The Alamo Fire in San Luis Obispo County, 23,000 acres and only 10% contained. That's off Highway 166 near the Twitchell Reservoir. 
The uh, Winters Fire is 75% contained, and that has burned 2,200 acres near Highway 128 and Pleasant View Road. There are no evacuation orders in place there. And there's a 100-acre fire up in El Dorado County in the town of Rescue near Axel Court and Barrister Court. That is 50% contained. So be careful. Just be careful. All right. Uh, Farm Show, KSDE Farm Hour, coming up after the news at noon o'clock. And uh, what are we going to talk about today, Fred? Well, now you may have heard that uh, the Delta Tunnels plan got the okay from a couple of environmentally uh, federal organizations. And, uh, well, there's been a response. Uh, The Delta Tunnels plan has been hit with the first of what promises to be several lawsuits to halt that big dig beneath the Sacramento River. And uh, we take a look back on the five-year drought and the lessons that California farmers learned and how they adapted. They're very good at adapting. The heat that we recently, uh, recently, how about yesterday, recently went through has affected the Sacramento processing tomato crop. And that's been hit hard by the recent recent heat waves, shall we say. And we've got the numbers on that. And also there's a, a wonderful new book out called Why We Farm. And it's a profile of several farming families in the Cape Valley, and we talked to the author of that book. Crop reports and a lot more, too. That's on this week's KSTE Farm Hour, coming up between 12 and 1 o'clock right here on Talk 650 KSTE, uh, KSTE.com, and the iHeartRadio app. Links. But let, let's mention where we're going to find podcasts for today's programs, folks, uh, as far as the uh, Get Growing Show, uh, the KFPK Garden Show, and the KSTE Farm Hour. I will provide you those links. Send me a letter. No, uh, <laughs> I will post the links. When they become available to me, I will post the links to the podcasts of this show at FarmerFred.com as well as at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Maybe even Twitter, too, because I'm a Twitter kind of guy. So uh, while they attempt to rework the podcast mechanics for everything, uh, this is a temporary fix. But don't worry. I understand it's being worked on. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Brooks promises he's also lobbying uh, management for it, too. Good. All right. Now let's take a quick look at upcoming garden events. The Master Gardeners in Napa County have a two-hour walk. This sounds like a fun walk through Fuller Park in downtown Napa on Jefferson Street. And that goes from 10 a.m. to noon. And they're going to be talking about all the 41 different tree varieties that are spaced throughout that beautiful city park. So that'll be a a fun little walk there. Uh, Master Food Preservers have a couple of classes coming up. El Dorado County Master Food Preservers have a class on berries this coming Wednesday from 9 a.m. to noon. How to preserve berries. And if you're fortunate enough to have blackberries and raspberries and blueberries, well, what can you do with them? You'll find out at that class in Cameron Park at the Cameron Park Community Center at 2502 Country Club Drive, 9 to noon, this coming Wednesday. Amador County Master Gardeners uh, will probably be answering your gardening questions as well as hosting the monthly Calaveras-grown certified farmer's market on Thursday from 4 to 7 p.m. at their demonstration garden, which is at 891 Mountain Ranch Road in San Andreas. State Fair opens Friday. Brooks, do you have any free tickets to the fair? Work on that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Friday, July 14th, it runs through Sunday, July 30th at Cal Expo. And the Master Gardeners of Sacramento County will have a plant clinic 
uh, every day at the State Fair behind buildings B and C at the farm. Visit the farm. If you want to take your kids or grandkids to see how food is grown at a convenient location, what's more convenient than Cal Expo? They can see what corn looks like growing, and I understand they're growing popcorn this year. Finally. All right. Yes, popcorn comes from a plant. It's not found in a dumpster behind the Century Theater. You grow popcorn. Seriously, I have had to answer that question for people who had no idea where popcorn came from. All right, it is from a dumpster. Uh, No. All right, what else? Uh, Let me thumb through here. Pickling and fermenting class on Friday, July 14th, 10 a.m. to noon. In Napa, Napa County Master Food Preservers have that class at the Cooperative Extension Meeting Room in Napa at 1710 Soskal Avenue. Over in Amador County, the Master Gardeners have a Saturday class from 9 to noon on getting kids into the garden. You can learn how to make and maintain your own worm farm. Ooh, squiggly things. Investigate how to make a butterfly garden and which plants encourage beneficial insects. So that'll be uh, teaching the kids how to garden next Saturday, 9 to noon, in Amador County, and that'll be held at the GSA building at 12200 Airport Road in Jackson. Do you like irises? Oh, you're the one. Well, then you ought to go to the Sacramento Iris Society's annual rhizome sale. I say that facetiously. A lot of people like irises. As you know, I'm not their biggest fan. But still, for those that like irises... Saturday and Sunday, July 15th and 16th at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center. It's a two-day sale of recently dug iris rhizomes. Sacramento uh, Garden and Arts Center, also known as the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard, next weekend. It's okay to like irises, fine. And it's okay for me not to like irises, okay? Gee, what a way to end the show. I don't like irises! Thank you for listening. I appreciate your support. I like popcorn. All right. I think they'll let us do it again next week. I don't know. But if I show up, that's great. And we can have fun again next Sunday, 10 a.m. to noon on Get Growing right here on Talk 650 KSTE. Stay tuned for the KSTE Farm Hour coming up next. Bye. Bye.